Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo. With me is our president and CEO, Dr. Bob McClure. A ton to dive into on this episode of the podcast. Lots going on, Sal. This, yep. is, the, this is being recorded the day after the raid of Mar-a-Lago, which I know. we'll get to in we'll, just a couple we'll, of minutes. We'll get to in a moment, but about a half hour before we began recording, the latest inflation numbers of CPI yep. came out. It is at 8.5%. It dropped six-tenths of a percent, largely uh, on the heels of gas prices dropping. The thing that I'd like to put into context of this, though, is that the 8.5% inflation number is going to be written up by the left-leaning media as a win for President Biden. They will run cover. It is just absolutely disappointing that we would consider at this juncture of our lives 8.5 percent employment uh 8.5 percent inflation as a winning policy that's exactly right you have the uh, very active fed which is trying to raise interest rates and continues to do so we have two quarters of negative gdp which does put us into a recession and has been the definition of recession forever and now we're being told uh, that 8.5% is actually a good thing. These Remember now, we've been told for you know that inflation was transitory. It only affects the wealthy. It actually helps middle-class America because they'll get raises in their paycheck. I mean, the list goes on of what we're doing. And now, Sal, we have this, and I put it in air quotes, the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, which is an entire... Like misnomer, it will neither reduce inflation nor will it do anything along the lines of what uh, the the majority in the the majority party in the Senate is uh, kind of proclaiming it will do. Um, Inflation, the Tax Foundation has indicated, it will have almost a zero impact on inflation. Uh, with respect to all of the Green New Deal stuff that they jammed into this bill, uh, I read a report in the Wall Street Journal from uh, an author who... Bjorn Lomborg, yep, a friend of ours. Yep, who ran the numbers, and statistically, it is it will reduce temperatures 0.00009 degrees Celsius, so absolutely zero impact on, uh, on climate. Impact on an issue... That is not an issue. Exactly. This climate change issue is a fraudulent issue. We need to be clear. There is climate change in the world. It is not produced or caused by American capitalism. Exactly. And and that is the point that is kind of lost as right. the media, again, run interference for the left, trying to make it out like this is the biggest piece of policy to come right. out of you know uh, the American co- the U.S. Congress in in a hundred years. So all of that is you know kind of masking the fact that you are absolutely right. We are in a recession, regardless of what the left wants to claim about right. the definition of the word recession or the definition of the word definition anymore. Right. Right. Uh, we are in a recession. We have. Um, well over five, eight, nine percent inflation in the seventies. They called this stagflation. It cost Jimmy Carter his presidency. 
but I want to ask a very important question. What would the media be writing right now if this were Donald Trump sure. in the Oval Office as opposed to Joe Biden? Right, and we're not apologists for Donald Trump. It's just become so readily apparent what the uh, traditional old media does on a daily basis in terms of talking points. Um, and there, there are other two issues related to this supposed Inflation Reduction Act that are should also concern all Floridians and all Americans. One is the main bulk of the spending will happen in the next two to three years. Yep. Obviously, it's always this way. Spending is up front, while taxes to pay for it are spread out over a decade, which allows them to pass muster with... Uh, you know uh, the Senate. Um, you know parliamentarian. Parliamentarian. Thank you very much. They get to do that. So you have two. The spending's up front. The taxes are over a decade. Taxes that may or may not ever be um, go away. And the second component that is incredibly scary is the eighty-seven thousand new IRS employees in the bill, which will lead to more audits. Now, there's what's fascinating is I guarantee you the people who are listening to this right now. All right. They're, they are two years, some, in some cases, three years behind on issuing refunds yep. to Floridians. The problem is not audits. The problem is there are not enough people to process average Americans' returns. And yet, these 87,000 agents who will now audit small businesses and middle America, because that's who they're coming after. They're not coming after, uh, you know... Uh, billionaires and, and zillionaires. They're coming after middle America and small businesses. And we can't forget Lois Lerner. This has been an abuse of power for years, the Internal Revenue Service has. Back when Barack Obama was president during his second term, um, when conservative organizations were audited more, conservative donors were audited more, and in many cases were denied a C3 status and those kinds of things. And now we're here to say, oh, the IRS is not going to be auditing middle America. It's just a fraud. It's absolutely a fraud. And to put it into context, this would mark a 91 or 92% increase in the size of the IRS and personnel. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 90-some thousand IRS employees right now. This would almost double the size of the IRS. Now think about this. There are only around 790 to 800 billionaires in uh, in the world, I think, or in the country. You do not need 87,000 right. IRS agents to audit or make sure that those individuals are paying their taxes. What you will inevitably do is find work for those agents. Of course, they're bureaucrats. And you'll yep. see, I mean, you've seen in California, in Washington, D.C., you know, during this whole COVID pandemic, the abuse of power by bureaucrats. You can't tell me that somehow now this is going to be different and they will be more honor-bound than most bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. We talk about often the idea of kind of uh, boiling the frog a degree at a time in the, in, the, in the pot of water as opposed to just dropping the frog in the, in the pot of boiling water. And we are now at the point where it, the heat is on. Um, we are at a point where... Uh, you know, we have expanded the size and scope of the federal government so massively over the last 10 years. Both Republican and Democrat yes. administrations yes. have done so. They have. And we now have over 2 million people on the federal payroll. 
Uh, they have intruded themselves into every facet of our lives, and it is drawing this massive reaction from limited government conservatives mm -hmm. who have been, you know, warning for years and years and years. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where Barack Obama himself in a campaign talked about George W. Bush and his and his wayward spending back when the national debt was five to eight trillion dollars. We are now over 30. We're going to be up to 40 not long from now. And it is just more and more control and power in the swamp versus where the founders rightly uh, uh, wanted it to be, which is at the states and the people's the levels. The problem at the federal level, at the federal level, uh, is that the Republican Party has no moral high ground on this issue. Yeah. They, they continue to spend money on their own things. Yep. They continue to raise the debt ceiling on you know when they're in power. So there is no moral high ground. That's why Sal. The role of the James Madison Institute and the importance of federalism and Florida as a model for the country, not we can you know we can debate spending, but on a whole host of issues, the 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 reforms have to come from the states and drive them up. Correct. And Florida is first among equals when it comes to free markets, limiting government. Uh, and all of the issues that we care about at the James Madison Institute. And that's why JMI has big plans that will be announced this coming fall to address the importance of federalism and this issue coming up. Well, let's shift a little bit, but continue on the federal uh, issue of the Department of Justice, the FBI, raiding the home of uh, former President Donald Trump. Mar-a-Lago was uh, taken over by about 95 agents of the FBI. Um, Kudos to our friend Peter Shores. Yes. Who yeah. broke the story and before then tried to, any, get, then tried to give it away. Yeah. Tried to give it away to whoever wanted it. Yep. Yes. Yeah, uh, great uh, great scoop by uh, the great Peter uh, Shorsch and, uh, and all of the efforts that he has done to kind of build uh, a political enterprise or a political media enterprise in the state of Florida. There's kind nobody of else covering state politics and state issues like like Peter is. There's nobody else doing that. And, and you know what? Uh, people may not always agree with him, or they may agree with him, but he, present, he allows both sides to air it out on his different um, you know, media uh, platforms, platforms all, of them, yeah. all of them. Kudos to him. Congratulations. What we don't know in, in Mar-a-Lago, it's less than 48 hours as we tape this. There's a lot we don't know. What are your thoughts on what happened there? Well, I, I think ultimately the thing that, that just strikes me the most on this is the blatant hypocrisy of the FBI raiding the home of a political official, in this case the former president, over, it appears to be, the taking of classified documents. Right. And when I look back over time, over just the last you know, 15, 20 years, at the instances of members of the establishment um, engaging in outright theft of classified documents, and I'm talking about Sandy Berger, former Bill Clinton yeah, official. Yeah, going way back. Yep. 
When you talk about the issues that surrounded Hillary Clinton in the 2016 campaign, where not only was there uh, like documented instances of classified materials being on emails that were in her private possession on servers that were clearly not secure, but then they go and they start destroying uh, hardware and software and everything to get around it. The FBI does not raid anything there. Right. The FBI does not engage on that. Front, but when the former president Donald Trump, who was kind of the disruptor in chief to the establishment, um, uh, is accused of something, this is what happens. That to me is the biggest uh, kind of takeaway that I have in the first 48 hours. And here's what the old media and the establishment bureaucrats and Republicans and Democrats in Washington don't understand. They don't understand the appeal of Donald Trump. But what middle America sees when they see these attacks on Trump, they don't like the way that he uh, tweets. They don't, they don't like some many of the things in his past. Many of it is disgusting. They don't like those things, but when they when middle America sees this attack on Donald Trump, they see it as an attack on themselves. They can walk and chew gum at the same time. They can realize that in many ways, much of what Donald Trump is personally is not, may even be repugnant. But when you're voting in the voting booth, you're voting for someone who will fight for you. And I put you in air quotes. So the more the old media and the establishment folks in Washington, D.C. continue to say, yeah, get him, get him, get him, January 6th, you know, the, the, the break-in, the raid uh, yesterday or two days ago, middle America all across the country says they're attacking me. So they're not prying away his supporters. In fact to use an old term that you and I will know that maybe some of our younger employees won't know, I think they might have jumped the shark here. Yep. I think they might have jumped the shark and that there are even independents and moderate Republicans who are saying, and you combine that with 87,000 IRS agents oh, in yeah. this new bill, I think there are a lot of people saying, okay. Quick that, side note, do you do, do you know the genesis of the term jump the shark? It's Fonzie. Happy okay, days. okay, just of wanted course. to make sure. Yes. Just wanted to make sure. The Fonz, yep. man. We we have our young communications I know uh, person here with us who has absolutely no clue the they, genesis of that. They don't even know who Fonzie yeah, was. They, yeah. 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 The, but we digress. Let's shift to Florida. Let's talk uh we are back to school uh is right is upon us now at the time of our recording Leon County Schools. It is their first day back. Uh, everybody is on the road. The buses are driving. A couple of notes. Uh, DOE produces the school grades. Um, uh, very proud to say that every single school in 2019 that was rated an F has improved their ratings. Yes, so yes. A, a great kudos to our Department of Education and the local school districts for um, kind of improving consistently over time. A uh, total of 469 schools increased their ratings in, it is for, uh, in 2022. Yes. And um, uh, an interesting policy note, uh, Florida law now has a program by which 
veterans with specific kind of requirements and yeah. so forth can now work within classrooms to begin, you know, the process of teaching. And I, I kind of hear things coming from both sides in terms of do we really want uncertified people teaching kids and what better environment to bring uh, our veterans to young people than in the classroom to be able to expose them to things that they would not have, you know, gotten in the in, you know, a traditional schooling. You just said uncertified. That smacks of the guilds. It yep. smacks of uh, the major issues that we've talked about when it comes to interior designers versus interior decorators. Why does homeschooling work? Do you think all those parents are in, and pods are are certified? This is a guild that the public school used to simply elbow good teachers who wouldn't go through the bureaucratic process to get certified. But now in Florida, that whole model's blown up. Exactly. And I'm glad you caught on that. And it is also a uh, an arm of the left via the teachers unions because right. the teachers unions, which uh, 99% of their political muscle is is aimed at anyone who opposes school choice Correct. and education freedom and the rights of parents to decide and determine the best course of education for their children. The teachers union is ultimately behind the opposition to this, which, oh, by the way, the American Federation of Teachers just today, um, it was announced are giving $500,000 to the campaign of uh, Charlie Crist. So kind of hearkening back to the article that JMI's Bill Maddox wrote right. back in 2019, where school choice moms were the ones who tipped a very close election to Governor Ron DeSantis. So I've got to think there's a, you know, yes, I understand the Democrats are kind of cash-strapped in this campaign cycle. I understand that the nationally, the Democrat Party has kind of written off Florida largely. But the idea that one of the candidates is going to get completely in bed with the teachers' unions in opposition to millions of parents who have, you know, kind of run with the concept of education, freedom, and choice. It's just, I, I, I'm questioning well, it. Well, and you hit it on the head. The Almost the primary role of, of, of teacher union bosses is to stop, stop school choice. So by giving that money to Charlie Crist... They're going to want a return on their investment should exactly. be elected governor. And, and what school choice moms, parents and grandparents who are involved in the education of their children in Florida do, need to understand is that very point is that these union bosses simply want to stop school choice. Little known fact in Florida, people think that, that teachers unions represent teachers. Less than 50% of public school teachers are a part of the teachers' unions. They don't represent teachers and the rights of individual teachers and those kinds of things. They exist, teachers' unions exist to raise as much money, to, uh, to self-serve, to bring power and money, and they give it all to uh, individual candidates yep. who want to stop school choice. That's a critical component. Less than half of public school teachers are members of the teachers union. You got it. And uh, a lot more going on in the state of Florida. Big news this week. 
Governor Ron DeSantis suspended state attorney uh, in Tampa, Andrew Warren. Uh, he had written two letters, one vowing not to prosecute people or seek or provide who uh, prosecute people who seek or provide abortions in the state in contrary to uh, the new Florida law. And then the other, uh, the other letter uh, condemned efforts to restrict gender-affirming health care, uh, mainly in right. children. So sure. um, it is not, it's definitely a, a dicey issue. A governor does not enter into this course of action lightly, uh, but it is not without precedent. Rick Scott, when he was governor, suspended Aramis Ayala, who had vowed uh, publicly not to seek the death penalty in any case brought in her jurisdiction. And it's important to understand, you take an oath to enforce state law. You're a state attorney, okay? You're not a city attorney. You're not a federal attorney. You're a state attorney, and you take an oath to enforce state law. So the you know, regardless of the issue, you know, if 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 he decided he didn't want to, you know, pick a different issue because abortion is such a hot hot button issue, uh, you know, murder. He wasn't going to prosecute murders. He wasn't going to prosecute, um, you know, armed robbery. Those kinds of things. You're a state attorney. You take an oath. There has to be a line drawn somewhere, doesn't there? Absolutely. 100%. Uh, I I think this, uh, while uh, I have seen um, uh, Andrew Warren on all of the national uh, left-wing media outlets, so they're turning him into the latest martyr uh, of the tyrannical uh, rule of Governor Ron DeSantis, it is clear. Um, Now, whether or not um, you know, a uh, higher office is in Governor DeSantis's future is to be seen. But what we see out of the left right now is a an acknowledgement that, one, he is an incredibly popular governor from an incredibly important state, and he represents everything that they hate. Right. Um, they have already begun the article streams on why Ron DeSantis is worse than Donald Trump, which Ben Shapiro predicted about two years ago. Expect these to start coming out. And so... This is all part of the establishment, the never Trumpers, the folks that have made a uh, a very wealthy living out of all of the the media narratives trying to portray whatever the conservative uh, position is as a, a fascist or as a dictator when you know we're we're likely you know going to see a very popular governor potentially and, reelected and and what is interesting is for Floridians is that the summer of peaceful protest two summers ago I guess it was yep you noticed it never happened in Florida correct okay? it was happening in uh you know the states that are governed by the left. It was not happening in Florida. Florida was genuinely peaceful. Okay, people were allowed to protest. It's the American way. They were allowed to protest their government. That is goes back to the Boston Tea Party. We can protest. Americans like a good protest, but a violent protest like the hundreds that we saw in Portland and uh, uh, Kenosha and Philadelphia and all across the country, they didn't happen in Florida, and it's because. This governor has been consistent about the rule of law.
We also have JMI's amendment guide coming yep. out. A very popular amendment guide comes out in the fall. It's a nonpartisan analysis of each amendment, the pros and the cons, yep. the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, that'll be coming out. The, the Floridians are going to have to deal with a number of men, amendments. But at the local level, we have some really interesting things going on as well, Sal. Yeah, absolutely. On the amendment guide, uh, it's actually kind of a quiet year for constitutional amendments. We've uh, put out guides where we've had 13, 14 amendments and a whole host of things that uh, potentially could be added to Florida's constitution. This year, there's only three. And uh, and so be on the lookout for that sometime, uh, probably late September, early October. Uh, and it'll be, like you said, a very down-the-middle look at what are the pros and cons on each of those three to give you uh, inf- uh, kind of information as you go to the ballot box. The local uh, issues, however, are... There's going to be a lot of things in each county, a notable one. Orange County uh, is dealing with, as many other uh, jurisdictions are in the in the state, with uh, rental prices on the increase right, and, right. and whatnot. And so the Orange County residents are going to be able to vote on a proposal in November that would regulate housing rental prices. Now, what we mean by this is rent control. Uh, they're putting a ton of potential um, uh, kind of uh, carve-outs in this, but it's mainly aimed at large-scale developments with more than four uh, uh, units in them, and it would place a price cap on rental increases. And so, um, you know, I, I, I just kind of struggle with this because, yes, rising rent prices are absolutely a pain that people are feeling sure. in the here and now. It is an immediate issue with respect to inflation. It is driving uh, individuals to have to take on second jobs and whatnot. But at the same time, implementing rent control is the absolute worst possible policy prescription to getting to long-term stability. Right. And and if you know, our listeners may not be aware that JMI actually released a study, I think it's been 2 years Us. on the housing 3 years on yeah. how do we how do we help the housing market? And this is simply a supply and demand yep. issues. Issue. There are so many regulations. There's so much cost that local municipalities have put on builders that it has driven up the cost of buying a townhouse, a condo, a home, those kinds of things, and which also drives up the cost of yep. rental. It trickles down. Right. It, it absolutely trickles down. So a a, a 15, 18% uh, premium on the cost of developing a piece of land because of zoning, because of permitting, because of delays, because of impact fees, all trickles down to it costs more to buy it and then it costs more to rent it out. But I will also kind of tie this to directly what a rent control uh, uh, policy would do in a place like Orange County. If you are a developer, are you more or less likely to develop a plot of land with housing when you know there are rent controls in place? You are less likely. What does that mean? We are not addressing the supply side. People are moving here 800 plus a day. They need places to live. If they're not getting developed, the supply is not being addressed. The prices will continue to go up. This is a bad idea. It is economics 101. Absolutely. It totally is. So as we move to kind of wrap up this um, this uh, edition of Spill the Tea, we have to let our listeners know about our tech summit that's going to be in Miami. We have the mayor of Miami as one of our keynote speakers along with Ajit Pai. 
um, who is formerly with the FCC. He was not only with the FCC, he was the chair of the Federal Communications That's Commission. That's right. Chair, yep. a great friend of, yep. of the organization. We have a killer lineup in Miami. Talk a little bit about the Tech Summit that's coming up because we'd love for our folks in the area or... If you're in the tech world and you want to attend, reach out to us here at JMI. Yeah, absolutely. We have a great lineup, as you mentioned. It is over the course of two days, September 15th and 16th, down in Miami, actually in Coral Gables. Uh, the, yeah, it includes Mayor Francis Suarez, uh, chair, uh, former chair of G. Pi, a number of folks who have both built wildly successful businesses, folks who are subject matter experts on the issues of innovation policy at the federal and state level, and then folks who are just really engaged in the space. We've got a ton of state lawmakers, both from Florida as well as other states, coming to kind of talk about some of the policies that they've right. enacted and how they've you know shepherded through some of these uh, things. It's a great topic because Unlike some other things when you talk about cultural issues or or some of the other economic right. pieces, it really does bring together um, both like-minded individuals and folks from other kind of philosophical persuasions to kind of talk about it because we all use technology. We are all pro-innovation. We just want to make sure that we're doing things in the way that creates the best environment for innovators to operate. Absolutely. So if you're interested... Uh, reach out to us at JMI. We'd love to have you attend. It's going to be a terrific, it's really kind of become one of the great state must-attend tech and innovation summits across the country. Moving on, as we wrap this up, I have to say uh, uh, there's kind of a rite of passage that has just occurred. My middle school crush, Olivia Newton-John, passed away. Uh, It's very sad I mean, it's that's a rite of passage. I mean, yeah. you know, when you're growing up, you know, and you you, you saw the movie Grease, and and you know, it's you know, we're starting to see these things, Sal. As we get older, people uh, passing away, it's uh, kind of a telltale sign of what's happening to us as well. Don't go there because uh, what I've experienced over the course of 2022, where you you're there, is. Um, for me, it's been all of my mob movie heroes. Uh, so Ray, Ray Liotta, yep. Paul Sorvino, yep. uh, Polly Walnuts from Sopranos. Uh, I, I think his name was Sirico, Tony Sirico, uh passed away. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm just hoping that someone is taking really, really good care of Joe Pesci right now because <laughs> that would make 2022 an absolute disaster for me. So on the, on the positive front, we are two weeks away from FSU's opening game of Duquesne. Are we really? We are. Uh, August 27th, I think, is when they open. Wow. What yeah. What's your take? Uh, is, is Norvell going to turn it around? Uh, I think it's going to be dicey. I think it could come down to the end of the year again to make the bowl for... Uh, you know, I think the Florida-Florida State game could be exactly what it was last year. The winner goes to a bowl. I, I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was last year. I think some changes at the O-line have been um, kind of needed, and they're, the new folks that they brought in are starting to make those. I actually think he goes seven or eight wins this year, and a bowl game is clinched earlier in the season than I we expect. I think UM probably has the best chance. University of Miami has probably the best chance to have the best season of the big three. We'll see. I think Florida's schedule is so killer. Yeah, uh, in the SEC, and then FSU. They draw Texas A&M on the road uh, cross conference. So, you know, I, I actually my kind of early prediction is the winner of the Florida Florida State game gets a bowl. The loser stays home, just like last year. But I think UM 
has a chance to make some noise early. I think Manny's walked into a great situation. Uh, um, ton, uh, not Manny, Mario, yep. Cristobal. Uh, tons of, uh, of um, talent. And then a quarterback situation that is is more kind of known and stable than the other big Big two. Well, I definitely look forward to uh, talking college football as we proceed along with the remainder of this year and and episodes of Spill the Tea. Uh, Until then, in our next episode, we thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.